this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of in focus i'm your host g sampath this is the second part of a two part deep dive podcast on the digital personal data protection bill 2022 In part 1 we discussed various aspects of the bill from the point of view of protection of the data principles privacy rights in this episode as we continue the conversation with alok prasanna from the vidhi center for legal policy we will be taking a close look at how the bill envisages the structure and independence of the data protection board of india the role of consent managers and protection from surveillance among other things Alok, thank you so much for joining us. So, one of the provisions uh, which has attracted some comment uh, for its strangeness again is to do with the duties, so to speak, of data principles. You spoke earlier about how uh, the duties of data fiduciaries, especially the private companies, they are going to get exemptions from certain provisions if the central government so wishes. But I don't see any exemptions or whatever. I mean, this entire question of duties for data principles. I understand other countries don't have this kind of a provision. So, what is the objective of having a provision to say punish people for having a frivolous complaint and so on? It's it's kind of bizarre because I mean, to be very honest, it was it did strike me as a bit bizarre in this, and uh, I'm sure other people have pointed out in more detail. I'm not very clear, and this is one of the problems which uh, comes along with the lack of a serious, well thought out document to. accompany this particular law i mean there are existing legal provisions which punish you under the ipc and other laws if you provide false information but if i don't want to give my actual name to gmail will i be caught under this i mean uh, in the sense that if uh, false and frivolous complaints against whom against companies and where is the balance of power here the balance of power is against the companies it uh, the is in their favor they are the ones with our well resourced which are well staffed which have large amounts of money and even if i make a frivolous complaint i am at most wasting my time and a little bit of their money so why would there be need to be some hard i mean there is no criminal consequences to be sure to be fair there are no serious criminal consequences and yes your complaint can get uh, dismissed but in terms of uh, this this is this is a kind of weird provision it's it doesn't really link up so much to other provisions from what i could make out and it uh, doesn't sort of tell us exactly more because one of the things is it makes sense to have duties if you sort of see the indian penal code it is actually a bunch of duties do not do this do not do this do not do this accompanied by criminal sanction so it makes sense that there are real duties that there are criminal sanctions which follow afterwards uh, but here there doesn't really seem to be any link and it's it's like a weird section which is just there which is a sitting by itself and we're not quite sure exactly what to do with it right and another aspect uh, which has attracted a lot of comment is this whole uh, right to be forgotten and in this bill apparently the right to be forgotten is merged uh, with the general right to erasure and therefore it sort of compromises the right to freedom of expression i mean what is the difference between these two I mean, what is the difference between right to erasure and right to uh, be forgotten and how does it affect the freedom of expression and so on right so right to be forgotten is way 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 wider All right, right to erasure is a much, much, much smaller aspect of it. Uh, right to be forgotten can include remove all public uh, references to say something that I did, something that uh, criminal offences. Usually, this is where it's used, or allegations against criminal offences. Um, and it is also sort of in India, in the Indian context, this particular right to be forgotten repeatedly comes up 
in the context of court judgments. And not bizarrely, but understandably enough, court judgments in the context of family law. So a lot of people don't, if you Google a lot of people's names, you will find their divorce cases, their any family disputes and a lot of things which come up thanks to many service providers who actually pick up the data from the court and make it public. These are supposed to be public documents. A right to be forgotten can also apply to a public document. And some of, some part of this is already there in our law. If you think about the provisions relating to Section 228A of the IPC and the, and the provisions of the CRPC which say that you will not make public the name of, an, of a victim of sexual assault, that is also a right to be forgotten. But this is very specific. This is like, I can only ask you to delete the data about me that you have. Now, the European courts have gone way, way far ahead of this. They've said Google should even not show any search search results, which might show that I might have been involved in a crime if I've been acquitted or if I've served my sentence. That is not what is provided for. Personally, I have huge problems with the right to be forgotten. I think in India, the jurisprudence hasn't developed yet. We have, we need one definitive case which says this is how to balance the right to be forgotten with the, the right to freedom of speech and expression. And what will be the exceptions? What will be the, all of that really needs to be balanced very carefully. That I don't think this bill can do, to be honest. This bill can only follow downstream once those principles have been laid down constitutionally. But this is in the specific context of correction and erasure of personal data, which are data principle correct. So, for instance, if Google has inaccurately, say, collected information about my gender or my name, and that is affecting the way in which I'm able to access services and so on and so forth, I should be able to apply to Google in a particular way to say, please correct my name, please correct my gender and so on and so forth. So this is a very limited or, or if there is some data that Google has collected about me that I think is not necessary for Google to retain anymore, uh, I should be able to ask them to delete it because it's no longer needed. You shouldn't have it. Now, this is still again at the, if you see this, uh, this clause 13 sub clause one, it says in accordance with the applicable laws and in such manner as may be described. A lot of people I saw on social media have been like, this whole bill can be summarized as as may be prescribed because that is where everything will come in the rules. Uh, your, your right to erasure means that your particular, you, you can ask them, please erase my personal data from your servers. Please don't have this personal data about me from my servers. Like supposing for instance, I let's say delete my Facebook account, which I have. Um, I should be able to ask Facebook, please delete whatever personal data you have about me, right? Not just don't make it visible. There is a difference, right? It may be that I, as Alok Prasanna Kumar, will not turn up on Facebook if you search for me, but Facebook may still have my data. Facebook may still have a list of all the posts that I have made, may still have a list of all the persons who were quote-unquote friends with me, it may still have a list of all the products that I purchased and so on and so forth. I should be able to say, I'm no longer using your service. I am no longer, you know, giving you any of my data. I want all my past data also to be erased. Now, to what extent, how much time, what data cannot be erased? All of these are, of course, to be determined in such manner as may be prescribed. Uh, but I think that is a fundamental, that is what is meant by the right to erasure, right? It's a very small, it, it's an aspect of data protection. It's about you asserting control over your data, right? It is that retention limitation, right? You're saying don't retain. By default, company should be deleting certain data. But if beyond that, I want them to erase certain data as well. I should have the right to do so is what the law is trying to say, but it still needs a lot more clarity. And therefore, perhaps there is the scope of this confusion because the right to forgotten is much wider. I have huge problems with the way that right is framed by the European courts. Uh, and of course, you know, American courts don't recognize it as far as I know at all, except in very limited circumstances in the context of defamation, maybe. 
but but indian courts are grappling with it i would rather that the boundary of what the right to forgotten versus the right to freedom of speech and expression is there be clarified principally constitutionally by courts and then translated into legislation but i don't think this is like the we should confuse this provision with that that said there is a much more problematic provision in the context of the rti now that is it's 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 kind of somewhat sneakily use the concept of personal data to gut the rti uh, which the in effect sort of me, uh, uh, giving uh, power to the government to deny more information under rti uh, it has removed that exemption about uh, personal uh, or, or rather the public interest exemption of personal data under the rti that is a much more problematic provision i know a few people have commented upon it this comes in the amendments clause right 30 clause 2 right at the end of the bill a lot of people have not noticed it but the personal data protection bill in the guise of personal data protection has gutted a key provision of the rti okay so this uh, this is something uh, which is a problematic thing because something which was there earlier is now not there yes so the i'll, I'll just read it out for reference the word disclosure of which has no relationship to any public activity or public interest which or which should cause unwarranted invasion of the privacy of the individual unless the cpio or the spio or appropriate authority satisfied that the larger public interest justifies the disclosure of information is deleted which means the power which was given to the cpio spio or the uh, information commission has been taken away they could say like for instance finding out about uh, the personal capacity of a particular officer or their assets or uh, their relationships if it is nothing to do with public interest obviously it should not be disclosed what this now says is that even if it is in public interest it cannot be disclosed and keep in mind it is this bill doesn't define personal data in a very comprehensive way it leaves it wide open so tomorrow even asset declarations has this particular public uh, uh, servant declared their assets even that can be simply denied saying no none of your business is personal information something so fundamental to the existence of the rti where that is a tool for fighting corruption that has been gutted using this provision okay and what about the fact that uh, this law doesn't recognize offenses uh, what does it mean does it no it does it not how will they punish for violations if it doesn't make out offenses well uh, criminal uh, sanction is not the only way you can punish what this law provides for is civil penalties which is you have the schedule of various uh, penalties that can be imposed uh, for non compliance of various provisions of the law one larger theme of research that we are doing at vidhi is like rethinking this idea of criminal punishment and you know, we just automatically in this country assume any law to be effective you need the policeman's latte to be swung in your direction only then you will obey this law personally i don't think it's a problem that there are no offenses under this law a lot of uh, malicious act and actions can always be punished under the information technology act like data breaches hacking unauthorized access all of that are still offenses under the it act and there is no real need to duplicate it or provide different definitions and cause confusion so i don't think it's necessary to do so uh, i don't think it's per se a problem that it, there are no criminal sanctions that said the enforcement mechanism here is very very weak you have a data protection board which is not provided for in this act it is simply says again to go back to our theme the central government will set up in such manner and in such terms as may be prescribed at some point of time so once again whatever right that you have given me i have no remedy i have to wait for the central government to give me a remedy and maybe the central government will do it maybe it will not it takes on sweet time what do i do then
Can you talk a little bit about this data protection board, Alok? Because it's that's the primary sort of agency or entity which is going to be enforcing the law. And do you think it it got adequate independence? Because uh, the government is one of the biggest data fiduciaries, but uh, it's not clear to what extent this one will be independent of government influence. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? So I have gone a little bit in depth into this in a, an article which got published yesterday in Bloomberg uh, Quint. Uh, but I'll just summarize some of the main points that I made. One is that about the previous versions of the data protection bill clearly provided for who will be on the board, what will be the terms and conditions of service, what will be their powers, what will be their qualifications, and so on. I mean, you can disagree about whether that's good or bad, but it made the three bills made the effort to clarify all of this. If you see any major regulatory legislation, all of these details are provided in one full chapter, which just deals with what this board will be. Obviously, it won't get into specifics like how much they'll be paid and what their allowances are. Those are always the subject matter of rules. But to say who will be on this board will be determined by rules. To say how long they will serve will be determined by rules. To say what will be their qualifications will be determined by rules. I think that is quite unprecedented. Especially because this is not just like some advisory body. This is a body which has been given what is essentially, in my view, a judicial function. You could call it quasi-judicial, but you're essentially determining the rights and liabilities of an individual or or individual rights and liabilities of a company. And that is essentially judicial function, right? If there was no data protection board, I'd be able to file a civil suit or I'd be able to file a petition uh, in a court of law against the government to determine violations of this act. Now you have said that all of that will not go to court. There's an express exclusion of civil courts. And now you have said this will go only before the board. But by the way, we'll tell you what the board will look like, sound like, act like at some later point of time. That, to me, is fundamentally constitutionally defective. Uh, that goes against what the Supreme Court has said in the Madras Bar Association case, where it, where the Supreme Court uh, has tried to curb the growth of tribunals which are completely controlled by the government, even though most of the cases will be against the government. Here also, to go back to what I said earlier, the right of privacy applies against the government just as much as it applies against the individual. You, The government will, unless the government plans to exempt every single body known as the state from this act, It is not possible that there will be no cases against the central government or any of its agencies under this particular act. And to say we as a central government will decide who will decide these cases against us. I think that's a very classic case of, uh, you know, an appeal from Caesar to Caesar, as we say in the law. Or it's so fundamentally against every notion of natural justice, every notion of fairness of the rule of law that, you know, it, it, it is... Appalling to think someone thought this was a good idea and will fly as it stands. That is simply unacceptable. And beyond that also, uh, both the constitutional and the rule of law concerns, I as the data fiduciary need to know, do I have any actual remedy? Otherwise, the rights are meaningless. They're just nice homilies strung together in one document. Nice to know, but I don't have any remedy. If not something happens, there's nothing I can do about it. Can one uh, ask for uh, or seek compensation from data fiduciaries? Is is that possible at all under the law? Uh, it does not have a specific compensation provision. Uh, there, uh, you potentially, uh, at least mostly the financial penalty uh, is what is uh, provided for. So when the financial penalty is levied, where, who does the money go to? It goes to the government. Okay, not, not to the aggrieved party. Not to the aggrieved party. Again, it's not like a civil suit where you show damage. And you have to get compensation in accordance with the damage that you suffered. Because, and one of the reasons why that is also not kind of provided for here um, is that there, this board has no, like there is no serious procedural or evidentiary law 
which sort of shows how the board will uh, act in this context right so suppose for instance if i were to file today if i were to file a suit saying google has violated my right to privacy i will have to make all those claims in accordance with the code of civil procedure and the evidence act they will respond in accordance with the code of civil procedure and the evidence act court will apply its mind and give a judgment here none of those seem to apply to this board because it's a court and court board it is not a civil court and civil court does not even have jurisdiction in this matter so to that extent uh, you don't have a right to claim damages uh, for any uh, loss that you have suffered as a result of non compliance of any part of this law and let's also sort of uh, note that it's not as if alternative to this you can go to the civil court you cannot there is an exclusion clause that says and you cannot go to the now it may be that in the future some high court or the supreme court might interpret to say you can always file a writ petition but you can't file a writ petition against a private company you can only file a writ petition against the government or some private company which is doing what the government ought to have done but you can't just for a civil right uh, against a private in, a individual file a uh, writ petition in the high court so this is effectively also i mean the financial penalty will eventually go to the government obviously but uh, this does not really give me as the data principal much rights to claim uh, compensation for any damage that i may have suffered as a result of the non compliance of this law so if you don't like the say the judgment of the data protection board which is sort of sitting on your case you can if you, who do you appeal to you appeal to the high court then yeah you appeal to it says the high court and uh, as as one of those lawyers my question would be which high court <laughs> and the law does not clarify usually the law, laws define high court means high court having jurisdiction over either the person or the uh, the data fiduciary or where the board is located this doesn't clarify that so it's again an example of very very poor very ill thought out drafting that to say what do you mean the high court usually in law it will be jurisdictional high court or the high court is is clarified to mean the high court over which the the parties uh, are subject to in terms of territorial jurisdiction and so on and so forth or where the board is located or something like that uh it if if i were to be somewhat malicious and sarcastic i would say are you sure you were drafting this for india and not for some other country which has one high court alone so which is sort of also begs the question right because what will the high court see in appeal because the findings of fact which may be made by the like listen when we have appeals to the high court they're either from the tribunal which is like a solid quasi judicial body where both parties make there's a series of set of procedural laws there are findings of fact and so on and so forth this is again a court on court board we don't know whether there will even be legally trained persons on the board we don't know if there will be persons with any clear understanding of the specifics of data protection law on the board if and, and and believe me i have seen this it makes a huge difference i don't know i know this may sound flattering to lawyers but understanding some of the ideas of natural justice civil procedure evidentiary law those are not trivial matters when you're talking about deciding the rights of parties there needs to be some serious person on this board who understands all of this and decides this if the high court is just going to be a source of appeal where one page order saying we looked at the complaints there's nothing in our merits here we have dismissed it what is the high court going to do it's going to say we don't know how to make sense of this order and you've seen repeatedly high court struggle with some of the decisions of tribunals where persons without legal training i mean not to say they're bad at their jobs it's just that they're not equipped for that kind of thinking they're not equipped for writing orders they're not equipped for writing judgments and this is one of the problems that the competition commission of india faced and continues to face quite seriously because its procedure is not absolutely clear 
So the law doesn't say that the data protection board should be sort of populated or should be the people employed in it should have legal training, should have some familiarity with data protection processes, etc. It doesn't say anything about what kind of people will be there. It only mentioned this in the context of the uh, chief executive, right? It, 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 it mentions... No, it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't specifically say no. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't mention any particular knowledge that they're required to have about law and so on and we might be able to imply some of this with given the functions that it has given but tomorrow if the government just says yeah we'll just find four or five retired bureaucrats uh, and ask them to do this <laughs> how, how, are we, how are we going to expect them to decide complicated questions of fact and law because that's what this is going to be you're not talking about simple administrative disputes you're not just talking about whether the government was right or wrong in doing this you're talking about what actually happened here when a data principle is suggesting that this law is violated, it is a complicated question of facts and law. What powers does this does this board have to find out the facts? Like, for instance, in the previous version, the uh, data protection authority was envisioned as a regulator, like in the way of SEBI uh, and RBI and um, other regulators who have the power to do some fact finding, find out what's going on. Likewise, the Competition Commission of India uh, has a Director General of Investigations who can inquire into the facts, present findings, contradicting or agreeing with the parties, whatever else it is. What is this body going to do? Right? Are they going to just rely on the whatever materials produced before them? Are they going to rely on the Evidence Act to determine what is truth, what is not? Are they just going to apply some best principles or I think this is the right thing to do? And what, what are you going to decide then in appeal? If you, if you don't get comprehensible orders which clearly state these are the facts, this is what has been established, this is the law, this is how we apply the law. What is the point of the appeal? The High Court will say, take send this back to the Data Protection Board and say, please do an actual uh, inquiry and find out. So it's just going to get shuttled back and forth from the orders and the burden will still be on you as a data principal to show a violation of the act. How are you supposed to do that? How are you supposed to go ahead and show that this gigantic corporation which is based outside India is doing this with my data? Where will you have the wherewithal? Where will you have the material to do it? Right. Coming, moving on, uh, Alok, uh, there is this clause, uh, clauses six and seven, I was quite curious about, which talks about a consent manager. I've not heard this term uh, before. I mean, what does this consent manager do? I am the data principal. What is, what is my relationship with the consent manager? Is it like a way of turning consent into some kind of a business opportunity where some businesses which are consent managers will come into the picture? Yes. Uh, and I think let's also consider this, that we give consent on a daily, almost hourly basis, pretty much on every website that we visit. We don't know what we're giving consent for. We don't know where the data is going. We don't know what is happening to it. If instead we were able to say that, listen, uh, you take my data and I'm authorizing you to give this much to websites, this much to social media, this much to various uh, service providers. And I want you to tell me how much of my data is there with all of them. I want to be able to kind of restrict or limit or cancel without having to go through each and every single website, without having to go through, no, I don't accept this. No, I don't accept this. No, I don't accept this. Because there is also that fatigue element to it, right? We After a point, we just blindly consent to everything. That is also not serving the needs of data protection. So a consent manager is basically this kind of intermediary who can, and it may be a legitimate and it's probably legitimate business purpose as well, because it sort of takes away this burden of us trying to figure out where our data is going to whom and for what purpose and where all it's available and so on and so forth. So in that sense, I think it's a fair, it's a legitimate accepted uh, business uh, practice. 
Uh, and I think uh, it, it could be a useful tool also for us because it saves us the trouble individually of having to sort of figure out where our data is going everywhere and have to just blindly give consent for everything. Right. I mean, I mean, I've noticed that uh, when we visit some new website for the first time or whatever, you immediately get this pop-up window saying, you know, accept all cookies or customize or reject all and all that. So will the will that consent manager sort of uh, come into the picture in these kinds of situations? Yeah, and I think that is probably. I mean, those are the tri- those are the ba- most basic users. There could be more complex users also, uh, and uh, it is something which. Uh, again, uh, they say that the consent manager will be registered with the board, subject to certain rules, subject to certain uh, specifications. All of that is nice to hear, but you know, it, as we have been saying so far, we'd like to uh, see it before we believe it. So let's hope that happens. But yeah, it's it's a it would be a legitimate way in which to protect your data and without kind of making you do all the effort of having to track down every single bit of information about you, uh, where it's going and what it's doing. Right. One final question, Alok, before we uh, wrap up, and uh, that is the question of uh, state surveillance. We we sort of briefly referred to it earlier. Now, many privacy activists have said that the biggest threat to an individual's uh, data privacy as of today is in every country, not just in India. It is state surveillance, where the state basically has a zero accountability when it comes to collecting citizens' data on a mass scale. So, what kind of protection does this bill offer against? state surveillance, if at all? Before we come to the question, I think we have to ask ourselves, is the state the biggest threat? Because, you know, at the end of the day, maybe China is not in the same situation as in India or in the US or the Europe or whatever else it is. We know the government's capacity to collect data, and as we have discussed earlier, is probably limited. Maybe the government doesn't rely on data so much as your local policeman or policewoman to surveil you. This law cannot limit that. This law will have no use in limiting that. Second of all, uh, even with the state, let's let's uh, state surveillance. There is at least in India a kind of inbuilt accountability mechanism where uh, it's a federal government. I mean, I, I can't say generally about every country in the world. It is of course different in different countries. Uh, there, there are state and there is central government. Different, they collect different kinds of data. They do different things with that data. There are powers that some governments can do, some things that they cannot do. Let me clarify a bit, Alok. I'm not saying uh, in the sense of threat, in the sense of the state will collect and do something with it itself, but also in, the, in scenarios where the state collects data and then hands it over to private parties for processing, who may be India, who may be abroad, and who then sort of you know commercialize it, monetize it, whatever. So the state, because it is the state and the privileges uh, which comes with being the the state entity, it is able to collect. And then, of course, uh, there are other private parties who are able to use it, access it, and then do whatever they want. I meant it in that sense as well. In in that sense, I would think even that is maybe only for a very certain limited kind of entities which might be able to use this data. Just to sort of uh, give an example, we see uh, during the pandemic, uh, I'm sure you would have noticed this, Google kept putting out monthly uh, reports on movement data to show how much of normalcy has been restored. Which state was able to do that? They didn't rely on state data. They just relied on data they already had. When I mean state, I don't mean state government. I mean any government in the world. Which government was able to do that? It was just Google which was able to do that. We were able to find out about our own cities. We were able to find out about our own neighborhoods. We were able to find, Google knew which of the parks in our neighborhoods we went to, which of the eateries we went to, which of the cinema theaters we went to. 
uh, what is the kind of movement that you're seeing. Maybe they don't have, they weren't, perhaps they didn't put out that data about individual, they maybe anonymize it sufficiently. All of that, we have to take Google's word for it. Uh, but my point still is that beyond a point, why will anybody rely on the state to collect data for them? If there is no legal mechanism to prevent you from directly going and collecting data from individuals. I mean, that's the controversy that we are actually living through here in Bangalore and in Bangalore specifically, which is that this NGO just took like one permission, started collecting data for an uh, for an electoral uh, survey without uh, telling anyone properly, started uploading that data. And only when people raised concerns and when a news uh, outlet here raised the concerns, government panic and stopped giving the permission. They didn't need to rely on their government databases. They went ahead and did all the surveys. They just they just sort of conned the government or maybe they didn't con. There was somebody in government helping them. That is all the subject matter of investigation. But private agencies will start doing it. Digitization has reduced the cost of collecting this data to almost nothing. And we have so many sources of data available that we are not really... I don't think... I, even, I am an expert on this. There are lots of people who will probably be able to speak more coherently, more uh, inform, in an informed way about... Uh, how it is possible to collect data about individuals, about large sets of people by anyone with the tools and the resources to do so. So I would say that's a secondary, maybe even a tertiary concern as to what the government does with the data that it has if it gives to someone else. Uh, I, 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 for one, would be like, if the government has all this data, at least please use it for the benefit of individuals. If you sort of know there's a serious employment problem in this country, please put in place at least... and. You, whether you give it to individual uh, others or not, please do something about it and at least address the employment concerns. So in that sense, I'd say that with the government, at least this is a secondary or tertiary concern, not to say they're not entirely not concerns. We should, of course, be worried if the government just randomly starts handing over Vahan data without any restrictions, starts handing over household data or electoral data without any concerns for privacy and so on. Those are all valid concerns. But they may come a little bit, two, three steps down from the fact that collection of data without our knowledge, without our awareness, the ability to use it, to push stuff onto us, to make us do things that we perhaps don't want to do. Those are possible and maybe even much more in the private sector. And this is something that I've been saying for a while. For the longest time, I think we have taken for granted that governments will be stronger than corporations. Like by and large. I don't know if it's still that that's still true. I think we saw some variant of this fight in China when the, the Chinese government tried to control all the various big tech companies, imposed harsh penalties, used data protection law, competition law, and a bunch of other legislations to curb their growing influence and power within China. Right. I think maybe perhaps uh, it may not be. We may have to probably think of different uh, frameworks for sort of approaching this issue. Uh, it may not be you know, any longer sort of realistic to speak of the private and the government as completely separate uh, entities in this regard. Maybe there is a lot of uh, collaborations as well in terms of how data is collected. Many of them, uh, in many cases, the private entities collect it and the government uses it and vice versa. Thank you so much, Alok, for uh, sharing your insights. I'm sorry we have to wrap up now as we have run out of time. And I think the sense I'm getting here is that despite so many iterations of this draft bill, starting with the Sri Krishna Committee, and I think over subsequent drafts, it's very unclear whether the long process and the amount of expertise and discussions and debates which have gone into this entire process till now, whether this particular draft has really 
taken all of it and benefited from it that's a big question at the moment thank you so much once again and hopefully we'll we don't have to come back to this with another draft or maybe we should uh, because we really want to want, want a better draft than what we have right now pleasure talking to you all thank you once again thank you thank you sampath my pleasure in focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues in the meantime you can find our podcast on spotify apple podcasts stitcher and other platforms just search for in focus by the hindu we'll see you soon